Hello, what's up? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Selby is Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. Not alongside me this week is Zach Meisel, who is living it up on vacation. We won't rip him too much because he kind of got emotional about that last week. But I do have a special guest, which I will introduce in just a moment. You guys may be familiar with him. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody that we are presented by our supporters over at Anchor. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can do so at anchor.fm slash Godcast slash support. That's a really long URL. So if you'd like to easily find that, you can find the links at TJZoopy at Godcast, And of course, a reminder that our DMs are always open over at Godcast. So if you have a suggestion on things you'd like to hear us talk about in the future, the offseason is long. And, you know, we're not expecting a lot of mega big time free agents to be signed here in Cleveland. So in the meantime, we like to mix in some off the the beaten trail uh, sort of things. And we will definitely do that. If you have a suggestion, be sure to drop us a line at Selby is Godcast. And we do thank each and every single one of you that listen on, Anchor, on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you happen to subscribe to the show. And now that we got all that out of the way, I can introduce our special guest host for this episode. And he has been a part of this podcast before. He's pinch hit for us before. But you know, he has since left the Indians beat. He's now covering the Cubs for MLB.com. So he is now a part of the enemy. Across enemy lines, it's Jordan Bastion. What's up, buddy? Random Indians beat reporter of the day. <laughs> I am so me. happy. Yes, yeah. it was no, it's good to good to be here. It was not that many clues, but we figured it out, and right. happy to have you part of the show. <laughs> Glad to be here. Um, well, outside of the gigantic honor of you joining the show again, which, of course, the, the honor is all yours, <laughs> I do want to talk a few different things. And I mentioned it being the offseason, so we don't just talk the storylines because, quite frankly, there's not always a ton of storylines to talk about. So we like to spend the offseason maybe pulling back the curtain on some things that maybe – People don't get to hear about during the season, and Zach and I try to do that with this beat uh, enough as it is, just to kind of give a, a little bit of a life behind the scenes kind of a thing, not just for the players, for the reporters as well. And you have a, a perspective on that that is different than Zach and I, because you've now shifted beats two times in your career. Once covered the, well, let me hit the bell here, the Toronto Blue Jays, Ding. and the Cleveland Indians, now the Ding. Chicago Cubs. All right, so we'll get into some of that coming up as well but before we do any of that i want to talk a little bit about uh what's going on in the state of baseball now and in your new perspective over in chicago so how are things going on with your off season you know zach and i are just so busy covering all the action here with the indians so i I have to imagine you have just a completely different perspective yeah it's funny it's uh so when i went over last off season the whole talk even though the the cubs are in a different stratosphere payroll wise all the talk was that they were really limited financially. They couldn't afford to make any big moves. And their biggest move of the whole offseason a year ago was was signing Daniel Descalso to a really cost-effective cost contract. And I was like, this is like the best transition I possibly could have had as a beat reporter going from Cleveland, where that was almost every offseason, uh, to going to the Cubs. I was like, they're making this really easy on me. And now you flash forward a year later, and it's been the uh, – they had their year of reckoning, as Theo Epstein called it, and now they have to thread that needle. And if they want to make any big moves, they're going to have to possibly make trades to free up payroll. And didn't you guys do this last winter? Wasn't that <laughs> – Yeah. That's yeah. That's what you guys did. So we're like 
I'm living in your universe, but like staggered it over here and at a different payroll level. So it's instead of 120 million or whatever the Indians are at, we're talking about 200 million with the Cubs, but the same ideas are, yeah. are existing. And so it's been kind of funny where I'm covering different names, different little chess pieces, but the concepts are all very similar. So I have found that part of the transition easy, but, um, I mean, it's it was it's been a good move. I know just for a little background, we got to talk too much about it, but um, you know, I grew up in Chicago, as Cleveland people will know from my years covering there, and my wife's from here, and we still have a whole host of family here. So, family-wise, on the family front, the move's been fantastic. Um, my son is still conflicted about whether or not he's allowed to root for the Cubs because he's a big Indians fan. He still has Francisco Lindor bobblehead on his dresser next to his bed and uh you know i think he said he'll allow the cubs as his national league team but i want the clevelanders who are listening to know my son isn't like putting on a cubs hat all of a sudden after what happened a couple years ago <laughs> um he's he's pretty conflicted sports wise about this whole thing but it's been a good move so far yeah i mean you, you sh- you've shared it before on twitter but what was the the message you got after the 2016 world series from your son Oh, yeah, it was funny because I'm standing there sort of taking a little personal moment to reflect before we went down to the club, the clubhouse. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of thinking about Grandpa Bastion, who was born in 1909, a year after the Cubs last won it. And, you know, I, wa- I actually selfishly kind of wanted the Indians to win that year because we were covering the Indians. And, like, I mean, what a story that would have been uh, for the Indians with two and a half pitchers to, to pull that off. And, you know, selfishly, you're thinking as a writer, like, oh, man, what kind of opportunities would this present for not only me, but like you guys and and the rest of the beat? Like, this you're is thinking about great. all the book deals. That oh, gonna be... It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> and then, and then uh, you know, the rain delay happens and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. So I'm taking a moment to reflect on, well, hey, you know, this is pretty cool. My grandpa doesn't get to see this. But, you know, through my eyes, you know, I'm getting to watch the Cubs finally end this curse. This is pretty cool. All right, now I got to go down to the clubhouse, and then my phone buzzes, and my son, who was uh, seven at the time, or maybe seven or eight at the time, and he texts me, "Dad, I am so upset." And I like it was like, man, like what, what a cruel thing sports really is sometimes, where it's like, you know, generations of Cubs fans, and then I'm covering the Indians, and then my son, you know, his little heart's broken. He stayed up late to watch Game Seven. You know, we, you know, we're like you know, okay, this is a once in a lifetime thing. We're going to let him stay up and broke his little heart. His face and cheeks were all red. His tears were streaming. So then I'm getting emotional thinking about him being emotional. It was the whole thing. Then you had to go downstairs and cover uh, the clubhouse. And, you know, that was a surreal experience for us all as well. So, uh, I mean, what a ride that was, but it's been pretty unique to live through that season from the Indians perspective and now coming and covering this team the Cubs in the, in the sort of years that have followed the aftermath, you know, cause we all thought that was going to be this sort of dynastic team. And it's kind of been a little different story over here. Yeah. And I'm sure all the fans are just crying uh, to hear about <laughs> all the, the Cubs issues uh, this year. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they, they can't spend money. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, their that's payroll's awful. too high. Oh my goodness. Uh, how do they, how do they survive? Right. It, it really, it, I mean, it's a weird place with the state of the game now with the, the luxury tax yep. creating, I don't, you know, I don't know that they intended it to, to, to operate like a soft or even a hard cap, but it has certainly 
been that for a lot of teams. No one wants to dip their toe into the luxury tap tax two, three, four times now. Um, and it, it, that had to be a transition, too, because I don't know shit about the luxury tax. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> I, I don't know. When would we ever, as Indians reporters, ever have to know anything about the luxury tax and repeater tax and any of the other stuff that, like, an NBA team would have to deal with? I mean, I guess Cleveland fans have some sense of, of how that works based on how the NBA does. But, yeah, I, I have no idea what any of that means. So when I hear a team is, like, struggling to get below the luxury tax, I'm thinking, <laughs> you're already spending 200-some million dollars. What's another 20, 30 on top of that? That doesn't right. make any sense to me uh, if you're just throwing away money like that. But, you know, yeah, I, I can't imagine uh, any Tribe fans are just shedding any tears over the yeah, plight of, of the Cubs offseason. That took some reading and research to learn. I mean, when when I was over, I remember the front office guys in Cleveland were like, yeah, we haven't even read that section of the, you know, CBA, <laughs> like <laughs> tongue in cheek. But, you know, I, honestly, yeah, you get over here and like I said, different stratosphere, but uh, a lot of the same concepts in terms of how they're building the roster. It's just they can operate at a higher level. So that's been that's been different to get. That's been one of the bigger adjustments that and just the the sheer size of. I mean, if somebody, you know, belches on the Cubs beat, it's, it could become a news story. And um, I think that was a little different, just the sheer market size and, and things like that. But it doesn't mean it's like one fan base is more passionate than the other. It's just the market size. You know, I actually loved, um, you know, the, the Cleveland fans that were there. You know, they obviously need more attendance to, to help along those lines and help the payroll situation. But. You know, the, I love the the eight years there. So I don't I, I don't want any Cleveland fans listening to think like I'm going, oh, you know, Chicago's so much better. I like absolutely loved Cleveland and the Tribe fans and and that whole experience over there. It was hard. That was hard to leave. Uh, so you mentioned something that Zach and I have talked about before. Um, you know, we yeah. talk at length about how fluky this game can be, uh, probably more so than any other sport uh, because of the number of guys involved and it being you know, match up one on one thing and one small, very, very small thing in a extremely small sample size completely changes one game. And if you're talking about the playoffs, one game can be the difference in, a, in changing an, an entire series. So with all that being the case, um, the Cubs are a team that, you know, when they started their rebuild, they tanked pretty hard. And, and, and them and the Astros sort of established a, a new not as I guess not really a new way of doing things because teams that had been bad to get good before, but they took it to a new level. Yeah. Uh, both of those teams, and I, and probably the Astros even more so than the Cubs did. But the the whole idea was it it was going for both of those teams going to create this long line its dynasty of multiple championships and many trips to the World Series, and as we're seeing with the Indians in 2016, how quickly, you know, they, they make it to the world series and you're thinking to yourself, Oh, well they can get back to this point. It's really difficult to get back to the world series and right. And win it. And I, I, Zach and I talk about all these different little variables along the way that can completely change how you think about a franchise. And, and the Cubs are right there too. Uh, the Astros, they're having this in, in, in this giant shift in how people think about them because of all these allegations about banging on on trash cans and and whistling and stealing signs and all these these different areas that they were trying to gain an advantage and perhaps do, doing so by crossing a line. For the Cubs, they went it in 2016. They beat the Indians. 
And that was supposed to be a, a launching point for them. And yet they sound almost more, they, they sound more, it, it sounds like a more dire situation that they're in now than a lot of other teams that haven't even won a championship. Is it because there, there was that gigantic pressure to win multiple championships? Did the, the one title not take as much of the weight off as maybe people thought? And then I think about if one small thing had happened to change game seven, if right. the rain doesn't come, or hell, if Aroldis Chapman and all those hanging sliders <laughs> he's throwing in the ninth inning, if the Indians probably had been better prepared for shitty pitches to enter the strike zone, I think that was the biggest problem is that they were not expecting him to be as bad as he was in that ninth inning. I went back and watched it. <laughs> Carlos Santana misses a, a hanging slider that he probably should have put over the left field seats or into the bleachers. Uh, of course, everyone knows about the Jason Kipnis foul ball. Right. And not to, not to make this a really painful trip down man, memory lane, but it's going to happen that way. And if one of those things changes, are the Cubs sitting here today with no World Series championships or the, the Astros? They go out and get Verlander, and then it seemingly pays off. But if one small thing happens, or if they're not banging on any trash cans, or whatever the case may be, they don't have a World Series championship. Uh, I think about those things all the time because it does point to the randomness of the sport and just how fluky one small thing can change how everyone thinks about a franchise or how that changes a, a dynasty, or in fact, a, right. in this case, makes it so a team that hasn't established their dynasty that everyone thought was coming maybe they wouldn't even have one here today i mean i think i think about those things all the time and that probably is what keeps me up at night which is what makes me a really strange individual it's like if aaron judge doesn't catch that ball at the wall in 2017 right if he's you know seven foot one instead of seven right. foot three <laughs> but yeah i i think and i think there's some similarities you can draw here between Cleveland and the Cubs World Series payroll all that stuff aside is that you're looking at they built a young core and you have this window and you need and the probability exists within this window and the older the players get and the closer they get to free agency which is something the Cubs are also dealing with because they have a group of core guys that are coming up after the 21 season and Theo Epstein's contract is up after the 21 season so they have like sort of this this line that's drawn where even though it's the Cubs, these guys, Chris Bryant, you know, Kyle Schwarber, Javi Baez, these guys might hit free agency. You guys are dealing with it covering Cleveland right now with the, the ticking time bomb with Francisco Lindor, you know, this window exists and it doesn't mean you can't sustain the period beyond that sort of line in the, in the service time years, but that's your window of heightened probability. And so that's why when I talk about, you know, when people ask about the Cleveland and that run, 2017 is the one that really hurt. I, I think because when 16 and they lost, I think whether you were covering the team, watching it, playing for the team, it felt like, holy cow, I can't believe the Indians almost did that. In 2017, it was like, all right, now this team needs to win. And they had the winning streak. And everything going for him. And, and in all the years of covering Terry Francona, it's the only time I felt when he was planning for that roster for the playoffs, got maybe a little bit too cute with forming the pitching staff and, you know, buying too much into that was the year Brantley had the one pinch hit at bat late in the year. Right. And then he made the roster and then got overexposed when Edwin Encarnacion hurt his ankle. And now Brantley's got to play more. There was this ripple effect 
And I think kind of to your point was, man, if like one little thing goes different in 2017 and the Indians win it all and they, they bank on this window of probability, then Cleveland fans are viewing this, this whole era totally different. And, and for the Cubs, they're right now dealing with the, uh, they really wanted to win within the window. And so the front office took measures that maybe you don't take if you're building towards that moment. So they trade Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez to the White Sox for Jose Quintana. But hey, guess what? If the Cubs win in 2017, Cubs fans aren't sitting here today ripping that trade because Quintana was very critical to 2017. They didn't win. Uh, they had other. I mean, yeah, it's the same the thing or... with with Aroldis Chapman in 2016. Exactly. So I think there's all these little things where the Cubs were pouring in all these resources and getting rid of prospect assets and signing guys to these huge uh, free agent deals. And if they if they heighten the probability and they win another one, no one's sitting here now staring at the end of 21, going, "Oh, there's a sense of dread now that this is this era hasn't been totally." Uh, capitalized upon, and I think Cleveland fans are sitting there with the same thought that 2017 happened, 2018 happened, where they got boat raced by the Astros in the playoffs, and now, you know, 2019, they had to thread that needle and and reshape the roster, but you still have that Lindor clock, and oh man, like, are they going to be hitting this rebuild window soon instead of actually winning another one? And I think that's what you're kind of talking about, all these little things that pour into if this one little thing changes i mean look at the dodgers the way they went about it they built this dynasty huge payroll they haven't won one so i mean it's baseball's hard man and they always talk about building the uh you know the winning team is kind of going to set the trend and teams are going to follow you really going to follow what the washington nationals did they started 19 and what 31 18 and 31 (laughs) uh got a bunch of veteran retreads i dribble cabrera's out there i mean cleveland fans remember him and i mean it's you know, wait a decade for your star pitcher to actually, you know, get you to the World Series. And I, I think it's their formula for how they won the World Series. You can't follow that. Like, it's, there's no way. But that's the randomness of the game. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're speaking to. And it, it goes, that's not just a Cubs thing or an Indians thing. It's, you know, yeah, one small thing can totally shift the perspective of the fans and the front office and how things operate or, or happen. Yeah. And, and it's not even mega things it can be one small thing in a game I, I go back to 2017 because you're right that that playoff that was the gut punch man um because they were set up so well going into the postseason as opposed to 2016 and they, they just ripped off this gigantic winning streak and everyone is is feeling it about this team um they finally have this offense that they feel really good about they've plugged in jay bruce i think about <laughs> Again, this shows you how ridiculous I am and you are because you probably think about this crap all the time, too. What if uh, Giovanni Urshela catches the ball that's hit off his ankle Oof. and that Trevor Bauer inning, that meltdown in game four doesn't happen because the defense comes up and makes the play that they're supposed to. And let's say the inning ends and that's it. Or you mentioned yeah. the, the judge one against, you know, Lindor where he actually broke part of the wall as he went back to catch. <laughs> he, he stepped on the wall and broke it. That's how big and strong that dude is. 
Uh, but yeah, you can go back and, and these small little intricate things in these games are, are, are what makes this probably so maddening for a front office. And, and you and I have been in this position where we're building our hardball dynasty teams. <laughs> uh, and you think this team is, this team can't be beat. I should, this, I this, this team trusted, is amazing. I shouldn't have trusted Shannon Twitchell as, as long as I did you know, back <laughs> in the day. That, that cost me about five years of, a, of my rebuild. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and we'll get some more of that coming up, um, but not to make us. Oh, you wait, listeners. We got more fake baseball talk coming up. <laughs> oh, they know all about it by now. Um, and if you'd like to play, let me know. I've got yeah. leagues with people that need. We need slots. We need teams. If you want to play hardball dynasty, get in on this. Um, I don't want to make it all about other teams and again reliving memory lane, but it is. I come back to it all the time. You do as much as you can to build a good, as good a team as you can. And then it's just like you throw your hands up when you get to the playoffs because Lord knows, and we've seen it, anything can happen. And you try to, you're talking about the probability. You try to increase it as much as you can. And you have the Cubs who have gone all in and have traded for players and have given up prospects and have cared less about extending the window for as long as like the Indians where they're not real. They hate the word window and they're thinking, how do we just, continuously build a very good team and have a, a steady uh, line of pitching coming up to the major leagues and have uh, young players that we continuously can plug in and how do we build up the farm system and, and have a really good major league team, but not completely forsake what could be in two or three years. And it's, it's the opposite ends of the spectrum on how to build a baseball team. Uh, and to the Cubs credit, it worked out for them once. <laughs> And, right. uh, I think it's amazing that it hasn't worked out multiple times because even even before they won in 2016, you looked at the team they built in 2015. You're like, my God, who's going to beat them for several right. years? And then here come the Astros and, oh, my God, who's going to beat them? And then it'll just be another cyclical thing where probably someone else will come up. And, and you think, oh, well, they're going to be this dynasty. And hell, how many times have we talked about? the nineties Indians where it was the, the, they did the freaking documentary on it. The dynasty that almost was uh, never winning a world series championship. And if you looked at that team in 94 and 95, who would have thought that they never would have won once. I mean, it's, it got, it's painful for for fans and I feel for them <laughs> uh, because having to live and die with that and, and think about that, like we do, uh, it doesn't make for uh, it doesn't make for a pleasant fan experience when you don't get to hoist the trophy at the end. No, and I think it's it also creates this dynamic where if your team doesn't win at all, if you're a Cleveland Indians fan, you're just sour at the end of the year, even though like that was a hell of a ride. Like what a year that was. What how many great moments? You know, all these great individual seasons. You know, whether you're talking about 16 or 17 or even 18 to an extent. I mean, shoot, last year, the way they were, I mean, similar to the Nationals, so bad out of the gates. Um, you know, I listened to the Selby's Godcast during those those first <laughs> few months. And, uh, man, it was, uh, I had to, like, put on some happy music after listening <laughs> to you and Zach. Um, but, I mean, that was an incredible story last year, what they were able to do in the second half and those the trade they were able to pull off and, um, I mean, that was fun, but at the end of the year, they don't make the playoffs. And so fans, all they have in their mind is not the journey and the ride and how fun it was, but you, you, another year of not accomplishing it. And I think I think it is important as a fan to kind of step back and in, enjoy the, the ride and, and for what it was worth and enjoy Francisco Lindor 
hey, what didn't uh, didn't Paul Dolan say? It? Enjoy him while he's here, right? Oh you know? boy, come oh, on boy. now. Here we go. Uh, <coughs> no, I, I do think. I mean, it hurts now. I think it hurts seventeen probably the most. But what an era it's been in Cleveland. Uh, yeah, but yeah, one small thing, man, it changes changes the whole dynamic. All right, so enough painful memories. Ugh. Let's pull yeah. back the curtain a little bit on on the life of a reporter, which we do from time to time on the Selvius Godcast. So you take a new job. What the heck is your first thing you do? Ugh. Uh, well, How do you prepare for a new beat? Because learning one beat and then getting multiple, it's not something that happens overnight for, for fans listening. You don't form these relationships over one no. day, over one meeting. Uh, these are things that happen over multiple years, and comfort levels are are gained or sometimes lost and sometimes sometimes it just takes an amount of time before something uh can be built in a relationship so how do you how do you go about changing teams and trying to build those relationships on the fly yeah it's hard i I do think it helped that i covered terry francona because he um had you know friendships with theo and and jed hoyer and, you know, I don't know if he put in a good word or what, but the first time I met Theo, uh, you know, he knew my name. There was a little bit of, it seemed familiarity there. Um, you know, I, I was the new guy, but I'm not the new guy. I've been doing this for 14 years now. Um, so I think there was a little bit of my track record helped in terms of I've been a beat guy. Um, I knew a lot of the other Cubs writers on the beat just from over the years. So kind of shooting them notes, picking their brain, kind of asking about the dynamic between the other beat reporters, you know, asking what different players were like, um, asking about front office members. And then, but you're right from there, it was, you know, you built eight years of sort of networking sources on the Cleveland side. And now not only was I starting fresh with a new front office, but I'm now in the National League, which, you know, if you're talking about scouts or, or other people that you know, I was in the American League for 13 years. So I knew a lot of American league people. I didn't know as many national league related sources. So I kind of took a hit in terms of sourcing or being able to find information in in year one. But I also was like, you know, that also gives me a year to just sort of relationship build um, again. And I think the first thing I did, and I know we're in this like data age where everything's online, but when it came to, player stats or player salaries or injuries from last year. Like I think one of the things I prided myself on Cleveland was I was kind of like encyclopedic in my, you know, if you said, Hey, when was it that so-and-so got hurt? Like I usually knew the date and um, I didn't know any of that with the Cubs. I had to come in and I actually wrote tons of stuff just by hand in a notebook because when (laughs) I know this is like showing how old I am, but uh, when I, okay, boomer, yeah, yeah, okay, boomer. When when I write stuff down, I commit it to memory more. So like my first few weeks were just writing down as much as I could so I could kind of commit it to memory because that's just a method I have for um remembering things. So from there it was just going through each player and reading as much as I could, reading stats and then source-wise just kind of picking my spots to to start to have some longer phone calls, not even on the record calls, just talking to guys and um getting to know each other and um, spring training obviously helps. We're there for six weeks. Uh, you get to know the players and the coaching staff. It helped. I had one coach on Joe Madden's staff who I was on the coaching staff in Toronto, Ding, 
Um, and then Will Venable was a spring training invitee with the Indians a couple years ago, and he's on the Cubs staff. So I had a couple coaches who I knew from the past. That helped. Um, and the guys on the beat were all very welcoming. So I think that was kind of the initial stuff was just yeah, kind of basics. You know, just sit down and, and read as much as you can and, you know, talk to some people and try and get a feel. And now that I'm entering year two, like already this offseason, I can tell I've been a little more aggressive on reaching out to people via text and, and trying to glean some information here and there because, hey, now I've been here a year. You know, you know me now. Um, we've built up some trust. Now I can kind of put the foot on the gas again in terms of the, the reporting um, and things like that. But that was a tough year transitionally. I, I didn't actually move from Ohio until July. So it was, I had my family in Ohio. I was in Chicago living at my in-laws house. Uh, we're trying to house hunt while I'm traveling and covering a team while my kids are finishing school and finishing sports in, in Cleveland. And then finally everyone meeting up here in July, it was a, it was a pretty hectic year trying to pull that off. There's really no good time in a baseball season <laughs> to move. Um, you know, it was like, Oh, why didn't you just do it right away last off season? Well, I didn't want to move in the middle of winter from, Cleveland to Chicago, you know, so that was, uh, that was a whole challenge in itself. But I mean, that's kind of, that was the kind of process I went through. The, the funny thing is if you, and anyone that's familiar with baseball writing at all knows the pretty formulaic, uh, way things are done for newspapers or, uh, some online entities like MLB.com, mostly on the daily, just nothing, out of the ordinary is happening. It's just a normal day. You're concerned about your, your pregame stuff, which you yep. term like a notebook. And obviously your postgame, your recap of the game, and maybe any sidebars that you're going to write. Uh, but for your notebook, if for a normal beat writer, an easy day is when you're getting a bunch of injury updates dropped on you. It makes it pretty easy because, as you said, you know these, you're familiar with the injuries, you know dates, uh, you don't have to double, triple, quadruple check this crap. You know when guys got hurt, you're just simply plugging in more details, more information. And for me this year, I did a, a little bit of uh, filling in for some teams that came into Cleveland. Right. And so, you know, I have to do a series with the Orioles. I have to do a series uh, with the Phillies. I have to do, you know, so one of the most stressful times <laughs> was the day that is supposed to be so easy for a beat reporter when you just get all this information thrown on you and you can just kind of, it's almost like a, a Mad Libs plug-and-play sort of a thing that it's supposed to be. Uh, you know, so-and-so will accomplish this feat, and there's no updated timetable, yada, yada, yada. For me, I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, I have to look up every single one of these guys. Yeah. When they got hurt, did they yep. have a – wait, is there a new injury? Is this the old injury? I'm sitting there looking at all these old articles, and I'm talking to these beat reporters, and they're thinking, well, today should be a pretty easy day for you, right? You just got to – and I'm like, are you kidding me? I yeah, you look up like the... every bit of information that you guys have already known and, and have stored in the long term memory. I'm sitting there looking up every piece of information. So, right. yes, I, I can I can completely agree. That might be one of the most difficult parts of, of writing anything about a team that you're not familiar with whatsoever. Yeah, the lack of institutional knowledge. It, that was the biggest struggle for me for the first couple months of covering the team. And not only that, like. You know, like when you're in a, uh, a reporter interview with Tito, there's like the stories we've all heard and there's mm -hmm. like the inside jokes from over the years. And Joe Madden had all that with all the other reporters. And I'm like the guy who's like, 
like the kid who's laughing along with the joke that the, that the other kids are laughing at, but you don't really get it. And then when you walk away, you're like, Hey, I didn't get that. Like, what was that? About? You know? So I had that throughout the entire season or I noticed other reporters being really like kind of bored or rolling their eyes at, at stories. And, and I'd be like on the edge of my seat. Cause it's the first time I've heard it, you know? So like all those, all those madanisms that for them were like, Oh, this is the, thousandth time we've heard about this guy from the angels farm system and i'm sitting there like oh this is good stuff you know <laughs> and like and then i'm like oh well, wait should i not write this because this is is this like <laughs> among the fan base is this like a yawn story oh my god again they wrote about this crap right oh bastion <laughs> fell for it wrote about the uh yeah the time that troy percival blah 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 you know so it's like so i had to fight all that too or i had to be like Hey, has he talked about this before? And they'd be like, "Oh yeah," I'm like, "Oh okay." And, you know, so I had that. I had that all year because I was just—I hadn't been around Madden for four years, and so I actually—I do think that's going to help a little bit with a new manager with David Ross. And hey, and now shoot, bringing in Mike Napoli. I got another uh, another guy who I'm familiar with. And yeah. Familiar with what in the hell is quality <laughs> assurance? What is that? He. What is, role is that? He's going to make sure that the the party is quality. Yeah. All right. He's yeah. going okay. to assure that <laughs> all, everyone is having a good time. Um, no, so last year, Chris DeNorfio was in that role for the Cubs, and he kind of just any little like every, any little task that existed that just didn't fall on the hitting coach or the pitching coach, like those in-between mm-hmm. tasks, he was kind of that guy. He just handled like, hey, take this to so-and-so, or hey, we need an extra set of eyes on this, or – Hey, we've been working on this, but what do you think about it? Like, he's just sort of the extra set of hands and eyes. And I actually think another purpose for Napoli here is David Ross is a first-year manager, like a lot of like the trend lately. Um, so he picked a bench coach in Andy Green, who is just coming off being a manager, so he can have a bench coach who can help him with the in-game management stuff. But also, when you're a new manager, you want, like, you know, Tito's got Millsy. You know, you want your guy on your staff, your guy who, after a tough game, you can go out with, you can have a good time. Ross and Napoli were teammates with the Red Sox. They have a long history. So I think not only does he serve this purpose of bringing the the edge and helping set the culture, which has been a big kind of buzz phrases around the Cubs right now, um, shifting the environment into more accountability, blah, 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 all those things we hear about. But that's been the big issue with the Cubs right now. And one of the reasons they hired Ross was to kind of reinstitute this culture of accountability and edge. And we saw with Mike Napoli in 2016, he really helped that team grow from believing they could contend into um, contending and, and taking those steps and being there for guys who hadn't lived through a long season and a long playoff run to, to kind of help, help them be accountable, help tell them what it's like, you know, Hey, what you're experiencing. I went through, he kind of helped set that culture for Cleveland in 2016 and was a big part of that behind the scenes. And I think when they're talking about some of those similar culture buzz phrases, I think that's where he can also help uh, a Cubs team that's trying to move out of the expectation of winning and sort of forcing the winning is kind of what they're trying to move back towards. One of the, the things that stood out about him too, when he was in Cleveland is how he could connect with anybody. I mean, how oh, many times yeah. do you see him, see him sitting with Jose Ramirez playing a 
some sort of card game or whatever they were doing. And yeah. did they even understand three words between each other? But somehow, Who knows? but it didn't matter. They were having fun. <laughs> yeah. And then he'd pull up a chair with, with Kipnis in the corner. and Absolutely right. You know, and I, and the party at Napoli's thing is sort of we joke about it. And it was fun. I mean, it that sort of became a mantra and helped pull that team together and stay loose. And I think he served a lot of purposes, purposes for that team and also for how those players were in the in the subsequent years as well. Yeah, so at least you have one or two familiar faces. Uh, it'll be a... Another year, though, of learning new managerialisms. Yeah, it's not quite like the the Terry Francona bingo card that you once created. <laughs> did I actually create it, or did we just talk about it? I thought. I what did I you do? We, you did something on your blog. Down, yeah, I did the translating Tito uh, thing, which he came up to me later and said, "You got some of them wrong, but I laughed my ass off." <laughs> you know? So it's like. Uh, you know, so that that made it worth it. But yeah, I translated some of his Tito-isms for fans. I know we talked about the bingo card, and I, yes. I wanted to get his his little his head in the middle, with like a, <laughs> with an oh boy on it. Uh, so yeah, you know, anybody that's spent any time listening to a Tito press conference can probably start picking them out. But oh yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, probably more more so than any manager that I've sat in on and listened to. And again, this takes sometimes years to pick them all apart, but Tito has all of his Tito-isms. And <laughs> we always joked about someday just bringing everyone having a bingo card, everyone sitting down and we just cross them off as they go. And then in the middle, as he's describing uh, the latest bingo <laughs> setback to Danny Salazar, just stand up bingo. I got bingo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he said conscientious cross that one off. You know, oh, he's a baseball player. All right, there we go. We got that one. <laughs> uh, what day is it? You know, you, okay, we got that one. There's Anytime he, he adds an ER to somebody's name. Oh, Gomer. Yeah, Gomer's so good out there. Oh, yeah. Just so damn proud. Talking about uh, how good Mike Avilas is in center field. <laughs> Cross that one off the list. Yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sad that the bingo card never actually came to be, but my God, how much fun that would have been just sitting in there. And while we're supposed to be actually doing work, we're sitting well, in there. Well, you know, it's fun. not too late. You know, one of you can pass this torch and create. Yeah. You know. It'll never be the same, though, with the, yeah. the group that originally thought about coming up with it. It wouldn't be the same. I'm not sure how you'd react to that either, someone just picking that apart and standing up and <laughs> yelling bingo. I mean, I've, I've seen him. Uh, flash a few uh, cross eyes at people that haven't silenced their phones. <coughs> Paul Hoynes. Uh, so I'm I'm not sure. Uh, Jeez, I'm man. not sure how that would go. I'm not sure how that would go. Uh, so along those lines, before we uh, I set you free, and uh, I do want to mix in one special surprise at the end. But before we get there, uh, what were some of your favorite moments covering the Indians? What were what were some of the things that stood out? Because I have one. I have one in my mind, and I said it did relate to HBD. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm going to bring up? Because you Post do currently cover the man that, <laughs> that made this all possible. Yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, uh, the trip to Puerto Rico was, like, not just cool from a, from a baseball standpoint, but, like, that's a trip I will never forget just from a life standpoint. Uh, we, we went there not long after the hurricane, and, you know, got to go to Lindor's hometown and 
and kind of I think it's one thing when you when you write about these places that guys come from and but when you can actually walk into the neighborhood or or walk into that school and to see those kids hanging over the balcony and chanting his name like I mean I, I'm getting goosebumps right now still thinking about it and you know I think there was there was a power outage on the island while we were there and they funneled power to the stadium like the rest of the area was dark around the ballpark but Hiram Bithorn was lit up because that game meant so much to that community and I think those are things like that trip right there is something I'll never forget. You know, Frankie hitting that home run and, and that crowd just going nuts. I still on my phone, I took like three minutes of just recording the crowd because they were singing and they had instruments in the stands. And, and I still have that on my phone just to listen to every now and then, because it was just such a cool experience. So that like, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And then obviously, I mean, when I remember the world series, like it's not going to be, I'm not going to remember every little detail of the games, but I remember climbing over the seats in Wrigley to get to the field. Oh, like, yeah. uh, like Roberto Benini in when he won the Oscar and he was climbing over the, the seats to get to the stage. Like yeah. we had, we had to get to the field and yeah. the, the crowd is filling the aisles and they're singing the song. And we're like, we don't have time for this. So we had to literally, <laughs> yeah, I, we literally never, were climbing over seats to get to the field. It was insane. I've never felt rage and annoyance like that. <laughs> as just imagine thousands and thousands of people either staying in their seats or all going the opposite direction that right. you need to go. <laughs> right. And, and, it's, yeah, it and we didn't. The ass. Yeah. And the way that ballpark is built, I mean, we couldn't, it wasn't going to the clubhouse. They had, we had to get to the, the door in the netting behind home plate and they were bringing players onto the field. So like that. And then on top of that, the interview with Bauer at yeah. the world series on Wrigley field with the Cubs fans over his shoulder, heckling him. Like that's something I'll never forget. You know, that moment, like counting the seconds between him closing his eyes and sort of doing serenity now and, and giving a pause to gather himself before he actually gave an answer like I remember, I included how how many seconds he waited because he wanted to just turn around and yell at these dudes, but he's trying to keep his composure. Um, I mean, that whole run stands out. Uh, there's so many things. I mean, we got so many stories from our road trips together and and things like that. But off the top of my head, like just some of those things uh, really stand out. I was thinking, and it had me thinking too about that run. Uh, were you standing there, I, of course, in in Toronto, ding, Santana catches the, the ball in foul territory. It sends them yep. to the World Series. Everyone's celebrating. We go into the locker room, champagne spraying everywhere. Do you remember Anna Bolton, who uh, at the time was a translator for the team? She's now uh, working in a different role for the team. But she, she, was, she was there, and she had the actual baseball that Carlos Santana caught in her hand. Right. And she showed yeah. Do you Were you standing there when she showed it to us? Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure that was the last time that ball was ever seen. <laughs> it's missing yeah, really it's no one no one knows where it's at apparently yeah i remember yeah i i remember that the, i also remember seeing the ball that lindor hit for the grand slam was it in 2017 it hit the foul pole am i remembering yes. that right and yeah. it had it had yellow from the pole on it i remember jeremy fedor uh, the team historian was able to get that ball and i remember just thinking it was so cool to see the, the yellow from the foul pole on it um, another thing that stands out, and I tell this story um, 
I've told it to players too, who are, are coming up now. Cause I'm getting old. I got gray hair and I've seen more baseball than these kids have forgotten or I've forgotten more baseball than these kids have seen. That's what it is. Um, yeah, we can tell you're getting old now. Yeah. See, I can't even remember the saying, but I, I remember when Jason Kipnis first came up and they went through that horrendous August, was it five and 24 or whatever the, it was like historically bad, um, August. And, we had nothing but negative stuff to write about and to tweet about. And like, they were breaking records for futility and we had to cover it. And I remember, um, you know, Kipnis was kind of grouchy, you know, chippy kippy. It was our early introduction to chippy kippy. And I remember talking to him about, you know, he's like, you guys have just been so negative lately. And, and I said, Hey, look, Kip, I go, as soon as you guys have a historically awesome streak, we're going to be doing the same thing we're doing now, but on the positive side. And I remember, uh, you know, kind of having that talk with him as a young player. And then soon enough, he had some historic months. You know, we got to cover those. They were insane. He had the, was the one May he hit over 400. I think he had like 60, did he have 40 hits? I don't know, 50 hits. Yeah, it was, it was insane. Yeah, it was insane. And, and then they had the winning streak in the world series. And I remember it's just sort of that moment of, you know, hey, things are really bad right now, and but we're all going to see this turn into something special at some point, and it did. And I think that was kind of the cool part to to be there during that eight year run to go from um, that ninety plus loss team to you know seeing them reach the World Series. I think I'm I count myself pretty fortunate to have covered the Indians during what could go down as you know arguably the the best era. Uh, of Indians baseball. I know everyone has that affinity for the nineties, but um, you know, this has been a pretty incredible era that they've been in here. And Zach and I talk about it all the time over the years of covering teams, you, you lose the bit of fandom that you once had and you, you look at the game differently than than you did. Um, So you root for stories. You alluded to that. And in, in, in most cases, I think this is true for most writers. Generally, we want the team to do well because it's more fun to cover a team that's doing well. Yeah, it's more it's more fun to go down to the clubhouse after a win and, and guys are in a good mood and they want to talk. Uh, well, obviously, right, whatever the story is. And if the story is how bad they are or things have gone terribly or it, it's been an Astros like offseason. Yeah, you got to cover it. Uh, right. But, I think for the most part, most of us would rather cover a team that's doing well. It, it makes it, it fun. It makes us relevant selfishly, um, but it's just more fun when the team is winning. So when, you know, fans get mad because uh, writers don't live and die with the team winning and losing like, like they do, I get it. I mean, you, you want, you want people to be along with the ride for you, but I think for the most part, most writers and reporters are, are there with you. They want the team to do well because it's more fun just from our perspective to bring up a, a more fun story to the fans. Totally. Um, I think I always say I root for good people, good stories, and no rain delays. That's always my uh, <laughs> what I say. Uh, in, in terms of good stories, you alluded to it. You, you want to tell the uh, Jose Quintanilla or should yeah. I go for it? Uh, I'll, oh, I'll set you up for it. Uh, <laughs> And then you can you can tell us all about your embarrassment uh, from your perspective. So there is a or there was a player, and we talked about Hardball Dynasty. It's our fake 
fake baseball league full of fake players and it's all algorithms and it's all simulations and nothing actually takes place. You don't play the game. It just spits out results at you. And it's the most fun thing ever. It's the most maddening thing ever. I don't recommend playing. I absolutely recommend playing. All of those things rolling into one. Um, there was a player at one point in the league that, that uh, Jordan and I and a bunch of writers were playing in. That was, was it Jose Quintanilla? Jose Quintanilla. He was a crappy utility infielder, if I'm remembering yep. correctly. Good speed, good glove. And he was on the waiver wire. And your team at the time had put in a claim on him? I think uh-huh. was I claimed him that very day. Okay, so that's what ended up happening. That's the setup. And then the Indians that night happened to be playing the Chicago White Sox, and who was on the mound? But Jose Quintana. So and so Jose Quintana, game, yes. he just he shoved, and uh, you know as he did against against the Indians Indians multiple times back then. And so we go down post game, and so again I've got this in my back of my mind i just watched a game where jose quintana pitched very well and i also know that hey i won the waiver claim for jose quintanilla uh there's a difference there and uh so the classic reporter post-game question about a pitcher um because you don't necessarily want to there's just different ways to go about it some get you good answers some don't and so the the question if i remember correctly was in my mind was i wanted to ask was this a case of Quintana um, just really being on top of his game, or was this a case of the Indians not making the proper adjustments throughout the course of the game? But in doing so, in executing this very well-crafted veteran question, I asked it, but I said Quintanilla, and I didn't say Quintana. And I... I don't, I, in the moment, I did not realize I did this. And Terry Francona kind of gives me, he did the little, the little head tilt, kind of squint eye, tilt the head like a, like a dog that's confused and kind of looks at me. But then he answered the question. And so, uh, you know, I didn't know I messed up. Uh, and I think he just thought I mis- mispronounced his name or something. I don't know what uh, Tito was thinking. But I remember when the, when the interview ended and Tito walks out of the room, you guys were like a bunch of schoolgirls bouncing up out of your chairs, all excited and giddy. You surround me and you go, do you know what you did? And I go, what? And they're like, you said Quintanilla. And I was like, no, I didn't. And then Ryan Lewis shows me his notepad and he goes, he goes you threw me off so much. I wrote it down. <laughs> so, so not only did I uh, confuse Tito uh, but also Ryan Lewis, in his confusion, wrote down Quintanilla. And it really, so it was, yeah, that was, I think, the first case of HPD crossing over into our real lives. It was pretty embarrassing. Tangibly, tangibly crossing over. Yeah. It had crossed over long before that uh, yeah. into our lives and, and taken over. And I think I mean, we finally I, told, we told Francona about that at the winter meetings several, several years later. And I believe he actually remembered it. Because it was such an odd <laughs> flub for me that he actually's like, yeah, you know, I do remember that. <laughs> so, and it, yeah. yeah, Quintana is not like a rookie that it just got called up and maybe right. you, you weren't sure about pronouncing it or you just had a different player on your mind. No, Quintana <laughs> is a, a very established, very good starting pitcher. <laughs> and, and to this day, I have to, in my head, think about it. Is it Quintana? Is it Quintanilla? Yeah, my first day covering the Cubs in spring training, we interviewed him, 
and I remember taking a video and I <laughs> positioned the video just so so you could see his nameplate. And I remember screen, <laughs> screen grabbing it and texting it to you guys and be like, I'm covering Quintanilla. <laughs> oh, life does come full circle. All right, yeah. so to prove that, uh, Zach and I always do our random Cleveland ex-Cleveland Indian of the day. Oh, here we well, go. Uh, I'm not going to travel back to long before you were on the beat. That's no fun. So this is someone that you actually covered. Ooh, someone I actually covered. All right. Now, this is not, was it uh, a few weeks ago, I believe we did Ryan Webb. And was Ryan Webb the guy that you refused to say hi to? Yeah. Refused to introduce yourself? Thank you, Mr. Meisel, for telling that whole story. That was was great to listen to in my commute. (laughs) All right, so, so we're not doing that. We've, we've already told that story. Okay. Uh, and uh, for anybody that is stuck around and wondering, well, where's, where's all the Cleveland Indians stuff this week? Uh, Zach and I have talked about Lindor trades. We've talked about infielders and some outfielders and DHs that we think they should pursue. We've talked about a lot of different things over the past few weeks. So travel back in time. You can find some of our recent conversations, all of which still apply. But since Jordan is pinch hitting this week, we went a little bit of a different direction and I wanted to Quiz him on someone he actually covered. I don't know uh, if you had a conversation with this guy. Oh, boy. But you mentioned 2012. And oh, he played boy. for the Indians in 2012. It was his only year with the Indians. At the time, he was... This was his age 32 season. Age 32 season, okay. At that point, it was uh, part of his fifth year playing in the major leagues. He played parts of five years in the major leagues. And it was his last trip through the major leagues. Uh, with the Cleveland Indians. That was, this was his last year. This was his last year in the major leagues, correct. He okay. spent parts of five years in the big leagues, but he only played 62 games in his career. Okay. Now I'm, I'm going to imagine you have no early guesses so far. <sighs> no, I'm going to need another clue. All right, so he played 18 games with the Indians. In those 18 okay. games, he slashed. 107, 133, 250. That's an OPS of 383. His OPS plus was five. He made it in 18 games? Well, you talked about how bad that team was. Uh, was He had had 32 plate appearances for the Indians. 32 plate appearances. He did hit a home run, drove in two runs. Actually stole a base, too. Give me one more hit. Uh, it was a right-handed hitter, and he was an outfielder. Ooh. Did he? I'm going to ask a question to you, TJ Zuppi. Did he walk up to the Godfather theme song? I believe he did. We are looking for who is Vinny Rotino. Vinny Rotino. I can still hear Manny Acta saying his name to this day. Yes. Vinny that's, Rotino. That's, I remember being in, in Kansas City. And let me see if I can do a little quick Googling machine. 2012. Did he do anything in this game? Let's see. At Kansas City. Oh, no. He went oh for. Oh, wait. Uh, no, he went O for Kansas City. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, because I remember we were, the way the press box is set up there, there's a suite right next to us on the left. The door to the suite is actually in the press box. And in that press box was like all of Vinny Rotino's family. 
and they were going crazy every time he uh, he came up to bat. I don't know why they were all in <laughs> Kansas City. It says he's from Racine, Wisconsin. Um, but yeah, I remember that we had all the Vinny Rotino fans were in the suite next to us in Kansas City. But yeah, yeah, I I agree. I can still hear Manny Acta saying Vinny Rotino. Yeah. As uh, recently as 2016, he was still playing in the minor leagues or had signed a minor league deal with the White Sox. But yeah, he did not play again in the major leagues after 2012. And I'm, I'm looking at his player page. How difficult is it to only put up a 165, 241, 299 slash line in your career? That's a 540 OPS. It's hard and to do, still, TJ. And Well, that's not hard to do. Lord knows, <laughs> Lord knows we would be much, much below that. But what I'm going to say is to last 62 games, to get 62 games in the major leagues, 110 plate appearances, and have that little success. Is, do you know uh, what? Do you know what he did on September 20th against the Twins that year? Why don't you tell me? He led off. He was the leadoff man. Oh, let's boy. go to this lineup. Let's go to. Let's go down memory lane here. Batting first, Vinny Rotino. Okay. All right. Then it's. It's fairly standard. We got Kipnis, Santana, Brantley, Casey Kochman coming in at uh, fifth at first base. Brent Lillibridge, who played 12 positions at shortstop. Sue Manahan, my guy, at third base. Here's a blast from the past. In left field, Thomas the Real Deal Neal. And he was replaced in-game by Ezekiel Air Carrera name that because of all his awesome diving catches and rounding out the lineup batting ninth was laser Lou Marson. There you go. And There's just one, right and just one year later, they were playing in the wild card game. How about that? Lilla bridge over troubled waters. That's right. Uh, that, I guess that's the, the Tito factor. Yeah. Kluber started that game. Oh, Oh wait. Not only did Vinny Rotino lead off, but in this game with two strikeouts was Vinny Pistano. This was the all Vinny team. <laughs> wow. And the win went to Esmil Rogers. How about that? What a, what a time to be alive, TJ. That was a truly a, a time <laughs> to be alive. All right, buddy. All well, right. it was a lot of fun. It was. Thank you, thank you for, for pinch hitting this week. No problem. You couldn't get Mandy Bell? She's doing a fantastic job, by the way. And if any Cleveland fans... Uh, aren't aware you know they should be following mandy bell on twitter and reading all her stuff at mlb.com which is free so yeah gotta love that free stuff yeah also the athletics fantastic and you you guys do great work and this podcast has remained fantastic and i'm glad it is still here i love hearing your voices because we we text we don't talk so so this is nice i get to hear your voice yeah, yeah, no, it, it has been uh, 58 minutes of pure joy on my on my part, and that I'm did not uh, I'm sound ha- sarcastic <laughs> at all. Yeah, I'm not going to say that I would much rather talk to Mandy Bell, but I haven't gotten a hold of her yet to uh, to jump on the podcast. But you know, you can read between the lines. Yeah, well, I'm sure if she if you text her now and she'll agree to do it, this podcast will never see the light of day. Yeah, absolutely not. No, <laughs> eh, probably not. Uh, but. This is just my backup. Just, just, my, just in case. Good things go. Things go awry. Uh, but uh, no, thank you for joining, buddy. You know I appreciate it. Uh, glad to hear everything's going well in Chicago. And for those of you that have stuck around, I want to remind you 
that you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to listen. Follow us on Twitter at TJ Zuppi, at Selvia's Godcast. And, of course, where can they find your work at, my friend? I am still at ML Bastion, although many Cleveland fans have unfollowed me. That's fine. Yeah, I well, get that... it. Uh, but I am now... Let me tell you the first time I... Because I have several of you guys, or, or for you, had several of you guys set up on mobile notifications. Because you know, right. it's nice to know what everyone else is tweeting about. Oh, did you, uh, not, did you not just notify me? Just not for, just for news purposes, but you oh. know, it's it's just helpful. That hurts, but what man. if what if I'm uh, not covering a certain game and and you're tweeting out what's happening in the game? I can That's keep up to date. Good point. Uh, so, so you know, I, I had I had you, I had Zach, I, I had several people, and let me tell you how odd it was. I mean, I know you're on the Cubs beat now, but let me tell you the first time you started sending Cubs updates to my phone, it was really quite confusing for a few milliseconds. <laughs> I got that from a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> Why do I care about Jason Hayward? Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I got it. <laughs> yeah. All right, right. Well, hopefully everyone has subscribed to you and has stopped following and is you know, not going to pay attention to all the hardships of Cubs Nation, but uh, if you'd like to, you can follow him at ML Bastion. And, of course, at Cubs.com. Thank you for listening this week, and we'll be back sooner than you know. We're out of here. See ya. The Selvius Godcast featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.